Good morning. We are outside the courthouse here on the square in Georgetown because in its original context, this commandment, do not bear false witness, uh, really spoke especially to a judicial setting, not lying about another person while under oath, while matters of life and law in a formal way were, um, were being considered. We're also out here because I think it gives, it, it reminds us that the Ten Commandments are not sort of religious rules for religious people to kind of do their thing off on the side of the world, but, but, but God gave them to, to God's people that we might live into them in such a way uh, full of life and love that, that, that we are a light in the world, to the world, among the world. What we do, how we go about it, has absolutely has a bearing on all facets of life, very much beyond our walls. And so this seems an appropriate setting to name that as well. Uh, there are a cacophony of sounds and voices uh, behind me that will probably get picked up in this recording. And I kind of like that because when we talk about uh, bearing false witness or, or telling the truth, uh, in our day and age, there are a lot of voices uh, debating and fighting over how to do that well and, and, and what that really truly is. First, though, let's look to our second reading from the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 6 through 7. It's that famous portion of 1 Corinthians about love. Love, it does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. About three years ago, I was walking through the Lewis Ginter Botanical Gardens. It's in Richmond, Virginia. Every year ranked as one of the top 10 botanical gardens in, in the nation. Absolutely gorgeous, stunning beauty, color. And, and I'm walking along and I end up about 40 or 50 feet behind this elementary school uh, class. They're on a field trip of some sort. They're laughing and talking. And then uh, very suddenly they all stop and they see something of interest. And I'm, I'm still a good bit behind them. I can't see around the bend quite what they're looking at. Is, is it a bunny? Is it a lake? Is it flower? Turns out what they can't get enough of is this really big ditch. The Botanical Gardens apparently had some minor renovation going on in this spot. And so there's this large open ditch and recent rains had made it rather mushy and muddy. And so the kids are kneeling down and they're, they're pointing at the mud and they're giggling at the mud and they're sticking hands in the mud as the teachers are trying to, to keep them moving along. And here I'm thinking is this space with, with unparalleled beauty and, and splendor and, 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 and it's the mud that is so captivating. I'm certain I would have been the same at that age, uh, but then it hit me later as, I've as I reflected back to that moment, I wonder how much I've really changed, how much we've changed. Because even if, if we believe that, that we are walking our days amid so much of God's great goodness and, and provision and beauty, how often it really is the mud that frequently gets the attention. And I'm speaking about a particular kind of mud. It, it goes without saying, I think, that, that so many of the words in our private and public discourse these days, especially across red and, and, and blue and, and, and right and left and any other thus thems you can think of, so much of it is what we might call mudslinging words. In particular, I'm speaking of the mudslinging that is a bearing false witness of the other side, the other person, the neighbor, the spouse, 
Bearing false witness certainly includes just telling outright lies about the other person, but, but, but it's, it's more than that. The Book of Confessions, which we Presbyterians have, and we've looked at a few times in this sermon series, it has the larger catechism in there, written in the mid-1600s. And at one point, this larger catechism, this teaching tool, unpacks the breadth and depth of what the, the Ten Commandments mean. And at one point, the catechism asks, so what are the sins prohibited by the Ninth Commandment? Um, do not bear false witness. And among other things, we read, speaking the truth unseasonably. So speaking the truth, but not in love. Speaking the truth unseasonably or maliciously or to a wrong end. Slandering, backbiting, tail-bearing, gossiping, scoffing, reviling, misconstruing intentions, words, and actions, twisting it, what they said or did, aggravating smaller faults, looking at them and, and, and picking at some of the smaller failings and really highlighting that, unnecessarily discovering or searching for the infirmities of another, digging for dirt on their weaknesses, raising false rumors, all of those, and actually a lot more in this paragraph, count as mudslinging, as, as bearing false witness against our neighbor. And we've got to a point with, with mudslinging in, in, in our day and age. I realized in preparing this sermon, I don't need to come up with an example for us. There's plenty of it going on in, in private and in public discourse. And, and in part, I think there's a lot of it because it's effective. Proverbs 25, 18, like a war club or a sword, or a sharp arrow is one who bears false witness against a neighbor. In other words, when, when you pick up any sort of mud against a neighbor and you, you throw it in their direction, this is gonna do war club damage, right? This is gonna cause a, a sword-like cutting pain. This is gonna cause an arrow-like wound. When people sometimes talk about the United States being in, in, in sometimes something of a cold war, even within ourselves, I think this is what, what they mean. The mud can be so fast and furious and effective weaponry. I actually think one can make a strong uh, argument that the Ninth Commandment may well be the single most relevant commandment to some of the ills that plague our society today because, because we are plagued by this continual and growing bearing of false witness of one another that, that hinders and hampers and, and totally disallows the working together necessary on, on uh, some of the very needful things that need our attention. At the same time, one can argue this commandment is really kind of the smallest John Calvin, hundreds of years ago, keenly observed slander, bearing false witness, it's often praised under the pretext of zeal. Hence, it happens that this vice insinuates itself among the saints, creeping in under the name of virtue. And often, in other words, we're often praised and thanks, thanked for being mudslingers, and we praise and thank the other mudslingers because it shows zeal. It shows how much we care. And so what is in fact a bold-faced breaking of God's life-giving way, it can rarely get called out because it's, it's seen as a virtue. And so, yeah, there's a lot of mud, and in part because mud's effective and in part because a lot of time mud gets praised. But 
I do recall a couple of children that day in the botanical gardens. They didn't just sort of point at the mud or, 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 or grab a few bits of the mug. They started to put their foot into the mud. They really wanted to squish down in it. And of course, the, the teacher starts crowling them, them back. But one of the boys, just for a moment, got a little stuck because his, his foot, his his shoe, his, his sock, they got stuck in the mud and, and he had to like give an extra pull. And that I think hints at the great danger and spending too much time in the mud. Listen to how C.S. Lewis put it. He said, the real test is this. Suppose one reads a story of filthy atrocities in the paper or sees it on your favorite cable news programming or hears it on a favorite radio show. And then suppose that something turns up suggesting that story might not be quite true or not quite as bad as it was made out originally. Is, the first, is, is one's first feeling, oh, thank God, even they aren't quite as bad as that. Or is it a feeling of disappointment and even a determination to cling to the first story for the sheer pleasure of thinking your enemies as bad as possible? He goes on, if it is the second, then it is, I am afraid, the first step in a process which, if followed to the end, will make us devils. Eventually, Lewis continues, we shall insist on seeing everything, God and our friends and ourselves included, as bad and we won't be able to stop doing it. We shall be fixed forever in a universe of pure hatred. The problem with looking for mud about on one another and even wanting mud to be there. The problem with delighting in these little half-truths about them, these, these pieces of gossip about them. The problem with, with a little bit of unfair framing about them, but they deserve it. The problem with stepping further and further into the mud is, is eventually you start to get stuck there. And to Lewis's point, you actually eventually become the mud. To the question, what's so bad about a little lie? It's because one lie so readily leads to the next, to the next, until you are in the mud, of the mud. Now, we cannot flip a switch and, and just kind of readily change all the bearing of false witness that we see going on in the radio or cable news programming or our politics or any of, of, of so much the discourse we see, but, but we are the church. We are called to be salt and light in this world. And I wonder what does it look like for us to pull our legs from the mud, drop some of the more delicious bits of mud we may have in our hands, and, and, and as 1 Corinthians puts it so memorably, become afresh a, a, a people who rejoice in the truth. The larger catechism, again, in our book of Confessions, has this to say about truly following the essence of the ninth commandment. At one point when exploring the ninth commandment and its meaning, it asks, well, what are the duties required of the ninth commandments? How do you really live this one out faithfully? The duties required of the ninth commandment are the preserving and promoting of truth between man and man and the good name of our neighbor, a charitable esteem of our neighbor, loving and desiring and rejoicing in their good name, sorrowing for and covering their infirmities, their weaknesses. 
It doesn't say not just don't tell lies or, or half-truths or live on generalizations about them. It doesn't even say just avoid lying. Just don't say anything. Just don't lie. But it actually says proactively have charitable esteem for them, for him, for her. Regard them with the benefit of the doubt. Regard them as a people made in the image of God. Regard them, maybe as likable, maybe, maybe not, but, but either way, as people for whom you really do want the best. Yes. <laughs> but what if that person, that family member, that side, that half of the country, um, what if they do not deserve such regard after all that has been done and all that has been said. Now, as much we could say there, we've already covered some of it in previous commandments when we've explored the, 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 the challenges and, and the road of, of forgiveness and reconciliation. But for today, when we ask that question about what about people who just don't deserve such a charitable esteem, maybe we ask this question. Have we forgotten how God sees us? Have we forgotten about our failures, our foibles, our judgmentalism, our secret past or, 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 or our present secrets? And have we forgotten how God sees all of it? There's the really short book of Jude in the New Testament, and there's this benediction. Maybe you've heard it before. Now unto him, now unto Jesus, who keeps you from falling and, and who makes you stand without blemish in the presence of God with much rejoicing. When Jesus presents us before God with all of our history and all we've got going on in our hearts, we are presented as a people without blemish. Talk about an undeserved, charitable esteem. When Jesus approaches us, really the guiding assumption is, is what we hear from Romans 1. Kindness leads to repentance. Grace upon grace is what presents us without blemish. And that is so unfairly good, unfairly kind, that, that, that it breaks our selfishness, our lies, and 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 we change, we repent, might it be the same? Could it be the same for our neighbors? What would it look like to look upon our neighbor or our spouse or our family member or, or those people with, with a charitable esteem the way Jesus looks upon us? That day at the gardens, there was uh, this elderly woman uh, about 30, 40 feet in the other direction along a nearby parallel path. She had a camera and she was standing all of maybe a foot from this fern and she was debating for the longest time how to take a picture of it. She, she, she was so reluctant to ever just press click. She was turning her camera this way and that way up and then, then down. It was obvious she was looking for the best angle. She wanted the angle that was really going to capture the light pouring down and through this fern. The angle that was going to give the best background for bringing out the beauty of this fern. Really, I think the angle where anyone who saw this photo was going to best appreciate this remarkable slice of God's handiwork in creation. 
Now true, maybe eventually she was gonna take some photos of other angles where she saw room for growth on this fern. Maybe she was gonna take some photos of the, uh, a browning spot or two or, or even a dead spot. But it was obvious she was not gonna settle on anything less than, than first getting that angle of most charitable esteem. The church is a people who not only refuse to join in the finger pointing and the gossip train and the half-truths that make much of mud. The church is not simply a people who walk sort of this middle way where we just avoid lying. You know what? I'm not going to even look at them, notice them, or say a bad thing about them. The church is a people who look upon others actively with a charitable esteem, refusing to press click on the photo too soon. And in fact, we believe that because Jesus Christ is risen from the grave and lives this day, then there is a great amount of stunning beauty and color and life teeming throughout creation in the most unlikely places and unlikely hearts. That is the heart of the resurrection message. Out of complete darkness, life. It's all there if you're just willing to work the angles. Jesus, help us to see one another as you see us. And as Jesus often modeled himself, questions, I think, are one of our best assets for exploring the angles of any person, situation, movement. Why do you believe that? What do you fear most? What do you hope for? What's your experience with that? How was that growing up? Honest questions are a refusal to click too quickly. In fact, we only really click once we start to see the angle where the light of Jesus is, is evidently shining through something of that person or, 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 or their posture or their words or, or something they've done or, or maybe it just even just the ache that we hear behind some of what they're saying or doing whether that person sees or names that as, as Jesus or not. And perhaps, yes, we click on other angles. We inquire about other angles. Maybe we stand against some of the angles that we see because we need to speak truth in love against falsehood. But only also as we are always fully seeking to appreciate the angles of most charitable esteem where, where Jesus is most definitely doing something. To be sure, charitable esteem for some of those close to us and some of those far from us or over there on that side, that is, takes humility, that takes patience, it is messy, it, it is sometimes just outright hard. Few of us are gifted with naturally seeing the world through, through a grace-filled lens. And even those who've tried hard for a long time to do that and prayed hard to be about that for a long time, even they have to admit all of us only see reality through a glass darkly, as Paul puts it. The grace of charitable esteem is neither easy nor natural, but we are assured we walk our days in the garden of God's resurrection life. There is a lot of color and life in our midst and in some of the most unlikely spaces and people and even darknesses because Jesus is faithful.
more we are assured that love himself abides in us. And we are assured that, that love absolutely rejoices in the truth. Love, love delights and comes alive at the truth. So what do you say? Shall we drop whatever remnants of mud may remain in some of our hands? Shall we humble ourselves? Shall we grow in learning to work the angles in love? Has not Jesus done no less for us? Amen.